these three words carry with them a tremendous amount of weight. Faith, hope, and love. Let me say it this way. My contention is that they're three of the most powerful words in the English language, period. I think about a time in your life where your heart has been flooded with faith. Uh, speaking of uh, Ecuador earlier uh, in the first uh, gathering, we had a, a dear friend from Ecuador that's here visiting. And uh, in Ecuador, some of you have literally jumped off of a bridge, okay? Is there anyone here that has done that, that has jumped off the bridge in Ecuador? Okay. You've just jumped off a bridge randomly. Okay. Any other? Okay, there we go. Mance? It took, it took a pretty tremendous amount of faith, didn't it? The point is, like, when your heart is flooded with faith, and, and now let's turn away from, from bridge jumping and more to... Um, acts of service to our Lord, like, we do things where, like, I, I seriously said that? Or, like, I put myself in that situation, I, I went there, I can't believe that. When our hearts are flooded, emboldened with faith, we'll do crazy things. Uh, similarly, hope. Uh, less on the positive side, let's come at it from the opposite. Uh, some of the times that for you have been the most hopeless Weren't they so unbelievably powerful? For some of you, it's been the greatest uh, period of depression. You woke up every day, no hope. Not even a glimmer. I mean, there was, no, there, was not even a, there was not even a tunnel, let alone a light at the end of the tunnel. It shows how powerful hope is. And then love, on the flip side, I mean, look, all of us in here who have ever been in a relationship and have ever said, I love you, apart from a fifth grade check here, if you like me, all, like anyone who's ever been in that kind of relationship, you know the power of love. Okay, I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago. I mean, I used to like write poetry and do, do things I would never ever do under the premise and the banner of love. We do crazy things when it comes uh, to these three terms. I have to be honest with you, all right? A passage is coming tonight that unifies these three. I've preached uh, this many times. I've been asked many times, faith, hope, and love, what's the connection? Never before have I felt um, an understanding about the power of this passage that we're going to get to tonight before studying for it this week. And so listen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm inviting you guys to come with me tonight as we end 1 Corinthians, a chapter about love, as we look at the power of these three words and their significance for you and I, faith, hope, and love. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, okay? I'll say it for the last time because I won't get to say it for a while. We're not at a wedding. We are going to read this. We are going to study it. In fact, I want to read through uh, the whole beginning part of the chapter just so we can enjoy the poetry, enjoy the truth yet again. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, my subtitle says, The Way of Love. All kinds of songs, all kinds of nuances coming to mind. Let's start here in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, Paul writes to Corinth, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And for those of you that are just joining us, what we learned is that pagan worship in Corinth included gongs and clanging cymbals. So he's not just saying if you don't have love, you're nothing. He's saying if you worship like the pagans and have not love, you're nothing. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith so as to remove mountains, which all of us would, would agree, that's a pretty tremendous amount of faith. If I have crazy amounts of faith but have not love, he says, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give all that I have away 
And if I deliver up my body to be, to be burned, if I make the ultimate personal sacrifice, but have not love, Paul says, I gain nothing. So here we go, verse 4, grab your tissue. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love, verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We only see this kind of love perfected in Christ. And what we learned last week is that perfect love casts out what? All what? All fear. And at the very, very end last week, we said, look, like if he is alive, then all fear is gone. And so tonight we're going to pick up where we uh, ended last week in verse 8. So here we go. At the beginning of verse 8, Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, look at this, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, he says, it will pass away. Well, in this verse, you have like opposite ends of the spectrum. Love never ends. So this like very long-term, we could say eternal kind of love. And then a bunch of things that pass away. The thing that comes to mind is the crazy reality that all of us live in. In Christ, we live in this tension of both somehow living here and now, but not really being home. Of both somehow like existing in the flesh, but waiting for something more. When you stop and think about it, it is a, it is a crazy reality to live in. Because it puts us in this kind of like this middle ground section for those of us in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Next slide. Here is our timeline okay, of the follower of Christ. You, you come to Jesus, believe in Him, you're converted, you're saved, we could say. And then from that point on, your life is eternal. Some of the funniest times in my life have been when I've tried to conceive what eternity would feel like. It's so insanely difficult because everything that we know has an end. Everything. The end of the day, the end of the hour, the end of the relationship, the end of the job, the end of the... And on and on and on. Like, our life is filled with ends. And so then all of a sudden, when we're like living in the tension of, but what about something that would never end? Seriously, have you ever been just like laying in bed or driving in the car, listening to a great song, and you're like, oh my goodness, eternity is going to feel so weird. Have you ever had that thought? Like, I, I, I think about that all the time because of this tension. Now, it's a good thing that we can learn a lot from elementary students. You guys know what I'm saying? Okay? You guys with me? You guys remember being in elementary? Good. Teddy, you remember? Just last week. Yeah, just last week. So, um, so I'm just kidding, bro. I know it was a year ago. So, listen. Um, so, yesterday, I'm at my kid's school. I'm, I'm, I'm at my kid's school. And this is weird. Public school, they start, like, singing this song. Like, the whole school. They're, like, like singing this whole song that they all know. And, of course, they have motions, right? And I've talked to Brandon before about bringing motions back in our songs, but it's probably not going to happen, um, just so you know. Um, and, 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 like, this song, what it was about was they're learning these, these seven traits that this man, Stephen, you guys know, Stephen Convey, Con, you guys know what I'm talking about? No one here has ever read a book. So anyway, including myself, I guess. Um, so, so Stephen, th- this man named Stephen come, came up with these seven like leadership traits. And all of a sudden, they started singing in the song the second trait. 
And the second trait is this. Look at this. Okay? Habit number two, begin with the end in mind. And so my kids are singing this song that they've learned in public school with all, their other, with all the other school, and I'm sitting there in my chair, and all of a sudden I like want to stand up and start like jumping around, right? And people would have thought I was crazy. But all of a sudden I was impacted by the truth that they were learning. Begin with the end in mind. You see, what I think we do is we begin with the ends in mind. In other words, for us, it is so difficult to live in the eternal because the temporal is smacking us in the face. We have no concept of the end. In fact, I would say we rarely desire to see the end in light of all of the circumstances that are so prevalent right before our face. So all of a sudden I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, like, like what if we were living consistently with the end in mind, with the full recognition that our end isn't an end at all. I think it would change everything. Let's say it this way. Next slide. All of our temporal timelines confuse the beauty of future eternity with God through Christ. All of the stuff that weighs from the temporal perspective on you confuses so much of what we already have in Christ. The truth that we will be with God through Christ forever. It's so difficult to get in that perspective. And that's what Paul is beginning to say. Love never ends. Prophecy, it's going to pass away. Knowledge, there's, I mean, there's going to be some things that pass away. There's going to be some things that remain. Okay? So I feel like we can flesh this out a little bit more. Uh, in this way. Let's phrase it like this. Next slide. In the tension of our time reality, we sometimes, number one, look at this, live in the I can't wait to get this over with. I've shared this before. One of my biggest frustrations at times, thankfully it hasn't happened in a long time, when I sit down with a bride and, you know, we're talking through the wedding ceremony. I get the privilege of doing two weddings this weekend, okay? It's going to be a wedding weekend, and I'm not using 1 Corinthians 13, trust me, all right? And um, I sit there, and I, I hear the bride say the words, I can't wait to get, to get this over with. There, if there's one thing for me in a wedding that, like, gets me a little bit red face, you know? Like, I try to be pretty not angry. I try to, you know... Oh my goodness, when I hear a bride say, I just can't wait to get this over with, I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Right? Like, I've stood up before and said, you, you've got to be joking. You get to, as a bride, live out the end of Revelation. You're wearing a white dress because the bride is going to be wearing white because she's been purified by the Son of God, right? And the, and the Father is going to be walking the bride down and you're going to be unified with the Like, this is crazy. Why would you want to get this over with when you can enjoy every second of it. Unfortunately, it's the same thing that we say in, tribal, uh, in, in trial and tribulation. I just can't wait till I'm through this season. I can't wait till this pain is done with. Are you, have you ever wondered why there's so much teaching in the Scripture about pain, suffering, and trial, and what it produces? It somehow produces hope. Why? Because it's in those moments that we're brought near to God. So some kind of mentality that says, I just can't wait, like some of you are saying right now. I just can't wait till this season is over. 
I can't wait till I'm finally married. I can't wait till this job finally produces. I can't wait. And on and on and on. What it creates in you is this, I can never be right here, right now, Duran Duran song or something. I, I can never be right here, right now, because I'm always existing in, I can't wait till this is just done with. My fear is some of you will live your entire life like number one. And then one day you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I wish, I wish it wasn't over with. But instead, I've spent my entire life saying, it has to be done and then it will be better. Pull out, put yourself out of that kind of mentality right now in Christ. Number two, in the tension of our time reality, we sometimes... Lose the vision of why we were here. I wish that would be incredibly awkward. I wish there was someone that could just travel around with me all day. And I wish that in every single situation in my life, they could remind me that I'm only here for the glory of God. So like I'm walking into QT and I'm getting ready to, ta to taste the, the uh, Diet Coke that tastes like nectar from heaven. For some reason, Quick Trip has like some mix from the Lord or there. You know, I don't know what happens. But I wish in that moment, like someone was just saying, hey, Mark, uh, when you walk in Quick Trip, this is for the glory of God. And then I wish like when I got back in my car and I was driving from point A to point B, I'm sure they would A, remind me that I'm not to text and drive, but B, my guess is they would remind me that I'm in the car for the glory of God. And then I wish in every a facet of my marriage there was somebody reminding me um, that this is all for the glory of God. And as I'm parenting my kids and as I'm preparing for a sermon and as I'm out loving the city and all, I, w I wish I had that. That's my mentality. The reality is I do have that. Because the Holy Spirit residing in me and residing in you is only taking us to the person of Christ and the glory of God. The question is, are we going to submit? Are we going to go with Him in that? Listen, for many of you, you've forgotten even why in the heck you're on this earth or submitting to Christ. It's only and your joy to be for the glory of God. The only reason why you go to school, I know it's hard to realize this, is the glory of God. I was talking to a brother at the end of the first gathering. And he's like, Mark, I'm struggling. I, I, I've been without a job for a year. I just got this job opportunity. It's not my passion to do this. And then I said, but people are, right? And all of a sudden, he, he, he stepped back. He's like, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what job I'm in. Like, people are going to be there. There's going to be opportunities to share and opportunities to love and opportunities to encourage. It's for the glory of God. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like, no matter what we do, the vision of why we are here, when you have an eternal perspective and not being blasted by the temporal, is I exist for the glory of God in Christ, period. The Scripture says in the Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people, anyone? The people, what? They, they perish. And some of you right now are dying because you've completely forgotten the vision. The only reason why you're sitting in this chair in Christ right now is for the glory of God. Very difficult in the temporal to believe that. Number three, in the tension of our time, a little more lengthy, we hold on too tightly to people, to things or pursuits in fear of losing them or in confusion of what they provide us. Let me just ask it this way. What right now are you holding on too tightly to? 
But right now, if it was loosed from your grip, your world would fall apart. That question is a phenomenal indicator to something right now that you must, must pursue and seek out. If this athletic ability was ripped from you, would it all go away? If this relationship, if these resources, if that place to stay, if this what you thought to be, if this call in your life was ripped from you, what would happen? I think about that often. Like if, if all of a sudden God just like muted me, it was like, and now you will never speak again. I hope that my identity isn't wrapped in preaching and communicating. But in that moment, I would find out. You see what I'm saying? So what is it for you? If something was completely taken away, maybe it would reveal that you're holding on to it too tightly, which has shown that you're putting so much stock in the temporal. When God has provided a different way. Love never ends. All these things are going to pass away. And finally, uh, number four, this is huge. We get so anxious about the future that it cripples our growth in the present. Let's, let's get morbid for a second. Um, so here, here's, here's what I've realized, and I've, I've, for whatever reason, have been struggling with this recently. I'm 36 years old, not a spring chicken anymore. Um, I say that kind of thing in the first gathering, and they like laugh at me because I'm probably like the average age. Um, but I start thinking about a lot of things, like, and recently I've thought like, okay, so if I die... Like, I'm not going to see Avery get married when she's 35, and, um, and I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to see Dawson graduate high school, which will be miraculous, and I'm not, like, I, and, uh, and what about Heidi? Oh, my goodness, like, she's super awesome and beautiful, and I don't want even to think about her marrying some other punk, like, if I were to die, and <coughs> seriously, like, here, here's what I've realized. There's never been a point that I've worried about the future that it empowered me in the present, there's never been, there's, take all of those things or anything else. There's never been one moment where I got anxious or filled with anxiety or worry about the future and all of a sudden I was emboldened to live better in the present or to grow. No, it's, it's only crippled. Why? Because it's such a self-centric kind of mentality. What right now is your worry about the future? What if all of a sudden you said, hold on a second, hold on a second, God is eternal and I am his. What else do I need to know? I'm like, I'm his kid, and that's not changing because I'm his completely, forever. So because of that, like, all right, God, whatever you have, guess what? It's for your glory. So let's walk through that then. That's the beauty of this text. That's the beauty of what Paul is setting up to now make these statements in verse 9 and 10. This is insane. Come with me now, verse 9 and 10. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But, when the, when the, what's the word there? When the perfect comes, look at this, the partial will pass away. We know in part. In other words, there's, there's some things that we don't know yet. Some things we don't see yet. Some really smart people have said that the more you know, the more you know you don't know, carry the one, right? Like, it's something like that, right? Like, the wiser you are, the wiser you realize you're not, right? Like, something like that. In other words, wisdom, true wisdom is shown in the fact that I don't know 
I don't know everything. I don't know anything, maybe even sometimes. Um, Paul is pointing to a very, very incredible picture, and I want to show you what he's talking about. Next slide. Let's just have a moment here with the crescent moon, okay? Beautiful, isn't it? Picture yourself like on a little late picnic, right? Laying out on the grass, just looking up at that crescent moon. What if this was the only kind of moon you ever saw? What if night after night, for all of your 23 years, you saw a crescent moon? Night after night. Every, every single night, crescent moon, crescent moon, crescent moon. And then one day, someone came up to you, and they said, hey, did you know this? Did you know that the moon, bless you, did you know that the moon is actually round? You, you would be like, excuse me? Like, you, I think you're cussing right now because we need to back up a little bit. No, no, no. I've lived 23 years and I have only seen a crescent moon. You're an idiot. The moon is not round. The moon is clearly a, you know, a, 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 it's like pizza crust, right? But then that person like was emphatic, like, no, 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 you're, you're misunderstanding. You're not seeing the full picture. I know from your perspective right now, it seems like it's only crescent, but then all of a sudden they, they like showed some like space picture, right? And then your mouth dropped as you saw this image that you thought to be the moon was only just a piece of it. That is precisely what Paul is saying. What if? What if all of the things that you were seeing right now in the here and now, what if when those things passed away, all of a sudden you were brought into a new reality, all of a sudden your eyes opened to something that maybe even was there all along, but you couldn't see? Cue Ben-Hadad II in 2 Kings chapter 6, my favorite, one of my favorite Old Testament stories. Can I share this with you? Is that cool? Okay. You don't have a choice. We're going we're gonna to go for it anyway. Look at this, okay? Let, let, me, let me build some context here. In 2 Kings chapter 6, here's what's happening. Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha is telling the king of Israel where the king of Syria is going to attack. Okay? And so what's happening is the Israeli army is able to move around, be mobile, and somehow like one step ahead of, uh, of Syria, of King Ben-Hadad. Okay? So here, here's where the story picks up. This is a crazy, crazy story. Okay? But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, this is the servant of Ben-Hadad speaking now, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Elisha is going ahead and protecting the army. This is crazy. And he said, go and see where he is that I, might, uh, that I may send and seize him. So Ben-Hadad says, let's find Elisha. Because if we find Elijah, then we can kill our problem. Okay? So all of a sudden, like a quick next entrance into the story, it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So Elisha is in Dothan. And so now it gives King Ben-Hadad II a great opportunity to pursue and seek after Elisha. Let's see what happens next in this awesome story. Verse 14. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. I'm not sure if horses, chariots, and a great army have ever pursued you as a person. But just try to imagine that for a second. Right? Like, an, an entire army is, going, is coming after you. My guess is that would be a decently humbling moment, right? And somewhat flattering. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, praise God. Like, they're coming after me. This is great. Look at this. And they came by night and surrounded the city, generally not good. Verse 15. When the servant, this is Elisha's servant, of the man of God rose early in the morning. 
and went out. Imagine this moment. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So the servant thinks he's going to watch the sunrise over the mountains. You know? Oh, this is going to be a nice morning. He's got his coffee, probably something like that, right? And he's, he's just like waking up. He's like, you know, rubbing the eye boogers out. And all of a sudden, he, he walks out only to see this massive army that is there to kill him and Elisha. So he says, alas, my master, which is, alas is what every servant in distress would say. Alas, my master, what shall we do? Which is a great question. He's like looking out at the army. He's like, this is going to go bad, right? And he's looking at Elijah like, we're, we're way, way, way outnumbered. Listen, seriously, one of the best verses in the entire Old Testament, verse 16. Look at this, crazy. He said, Elisha, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you stopped here, you would think like, oh man, the brother's got, he's got a lot of hope in him. Isn't that nice? Man, that, that Elisha, he sure does believe that, that God can do miraculous works. No, no, no. Elisha walks out and sees something different. Check this out in verse, eight, uh, in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes, his servant's eyes, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. One of the coolest, best moments in the entire Old Testament. Servants freaking out. Elijah walks out and says, no, 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 no. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. All of a sudden he prays. His servant's eyes are open and he sees God's army surrounding King Ben-Hadad's army. It was a matter of perspective. All the servant could see was a peace. But then all of a sudden when his eyes were opened, listen, he was able to live in a completely different kind of reality. What if God opened our eyes right now? I want to say it this way. Some of you are chained to the temporal. Uh, for some of you, your idol right now is five minutes away. It's how you live your life. But what if I told you living that way, worried, fearful, anxious, no eternal perspective will cause you to get completely convoluted on why it is that you're here. What if God opened our eyes right now? Can I pray for it? Like, can we pray for it together? Why not? Elijah prayed for his servant's eyes to be open. Why not ours? What if our perspective changed right now? What if all of a sudden we became more aware of what Paul says plenty of times that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood? That there are realities even around this gathering right now that we have no concept of, but that are present. So let's pray right now that God will open our eyes. Is that cool? And, and like, if he did, like, none of us can even conceive what, what, what would even happen. So let's just leave it to the Lord. God, please, just like Elijah's servants, could you help us see? We just confess that we are living so incredibly temporal. We, we desire something more. We want a perspective shift. So come right now, Lord, and grab our eyes 
and open them wide to who you are and what you're doing. I pray that we would awe you, and even right now in this moment, God, fall more deeply in love of you because of that perspective in your great and holy name. Amen. So let's say it this way to sum up before we move on. Putting full hope in the partial leads to hopelessness just like Elisha's servant. Brother thinks he's dead. What are we going to do? You put your full hope in partial things? You put your full hope in that relationship? Guess what, my friends? You will find yourself hopeless. You were all in thinking that it was going to provide you the hope that you needed, only to find out, maybe even sometimes years down the road, that really what it produced was hopelessness. I mean, you, you had no hope. And we already talked about how powerful it is. And when you have no hope, what actually happens? When you put the chips in on the partial, it will always and forever lead to disappointment. That's why Paul's saying there's another way. There's another way. You don't have to live and exist in that. So he gives two examples here, and I love verse 11. It really provides a great perspective. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways for 75% of us in this room. Okay, now, my son Dawson, I don't know where this came from. I don't know where he got this, but he calls me Nanasiki, okay? That's what he calls me. Nanasiki. I, I like FaceTimed uh, my kids before the worship gathering tonight. He gets on FaceTime. He's like, Nanasa! I'm like, I don't, what are we speaking? You know, we've been watching Star Wars. I don't know if he's like picking up Ewok. I, I don't know. I'm really confused. Nanasiki. So imagine, right, like whatever profession my son ends up doing. Let's say, uh, let's say church planting. That'd be kind of fun, right? Or, or better for the analogy, let's say he becomes an NFL quarterback, okay? Which is highly likely. All right, so... Imagine him, right? 30 years old, okay? He's playing for the Bears, of course, right? The Bears. He's playing for Dicka. Dicka has come back, all right? <laughs> okay? He's playing for Dicka. And all of a sudden, I go and visit him after the game, right? So I walk in the locker room, all my Bear paraphernalia. I'm super excited. He just played a great game. He threw for 406 touchdowns. Had a great game, okay? <laughs> I, wa I walk in the locker room, and across the locker room, Dawson says, Nana Siki! And he like prances across the locker room and like embraces me with, can we just all agree right now that the 350 pound lineman sitting right there would probably deck him in the face. You know, like, Nana Siki, like what kind of hotel, right? Like the, the respect meter would go drastically down and maybe we could say rightfully so. Why? Because Nana Siki is decently appropriate at six, Okay. 30, that's incredibly weird, right? Like, it just, it's strange. It's, it's not appropriate anymore. He's grown up. Listen, what Paul is saying is, spiritual gifts, he's mentioned prophecy tongues, there is a season where those things are appropriate. But there will be a time where they won't be appropriate anymore. Let's take a step further. They won't be needed anymore. 
Let's read the text again so you understand. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There will be a time in the verse previous when things are perfected, when we're with the Lord, when spiritual gifts are not needed anymore. That's why he includes verse 12, which is yet another example of the same principle. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Many things uh, in verse 12 that I want to wrestle with. The first mirrors today. Uh, let's, let's do a kind of a quick... Um, Teddy, you're a, you'll be a good example here. Um, Teddy, how many times a day do you feel like you look in the mirror? How many times a day? Do you, look, do you check out that hair? I mean, that hair is pretty precise. How many times a day? Fifteen. Okay, 15 times Teddy looks in the mirror, okay? And how old are you, Teddy? 17 years old, okay. Let's kind of move here to maybe, Spencer, it's good to have you back. Good to see you, bro. Spencer, again, you got some good-looking hair. It's kind of wavy up there in the front, okay? New beard, I like it. It's looking, looking good. College has done you well. Now, Spencer, how many times a day do you feel like you look in the mirror? Ten. Ten, okay, all right. Girls, does this, this seem low or high? Okay, let's talk to a girl or two here, a female, female species. Savannah, how many times do you look at yourself in the mirror every day, would you say? Just own it, just however many times it is. 20, okay, 30, we'll go with, all right. <laughs> what, what's really awesome about the iPhone now, which I catch many of you doing, right, is you're, like, you're acting like you're taking a selfie, really you're checking the do, you know what I'm saying? It's like, put that camera on reverse mode, got him, you know, okay, let's, listen, let's, let's say it this way, mirrors in our day and age are pretty good, pretty strong, okay, you don't go into Walmart and buy a mirror that's been, like, that's distorted, unless you're really having a bad day, you know what I'm saying, right, mirrors today, they're clear, they're crisp, I mean, even, even the mirror in your car, you really don't use your rear view mirror as much as looking at cars as you do as looking at yourself, Mirrors in Corinth, different story. Listen to this. Corinth was one of the biggest producers in bronze mirrors. Bronze. So imagine, if you will, a bronze mirror. Okay, and we don't have an ancient Corinth bronze mirror, but we have a distorted mirror nonetheless. My guess is you look into a bronze mirror and what you see is not just dim and distorted, but slightly not accurate. Uh, only a picture of, only a glimpse of. You see what I'm saying? And so for Corinth, when you start talking mirror analogy, they would have completely understood. Again, let's look at verse 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. You look in that mirror, it's distorted, it's dim, it's not full. But then what does Paul say next? Maybe one of the best lines in 1 Corinthians 13. But then, face to face. I can't help you imagine that moment, but could you just take a second? When it's all said and done, how many songs have you sang about God? How much time have you spent digging into His character through His Word? How much have you communicated about His greatness? And then one day, you will stand face to face with the Creator. 
What do you imagine yourself doing? Healing, thinking. When all of a sudden this, this God that at times felt so far away, now you had complete eternal fellowship with. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 um, gets the wedding wrap, and it's unfortunate. Because when you start unearthing the beauty of the text, you come to a moment like this. What the Corinthian hearers would have been thinking about the dim mirrors that they saw produced so often and how much of a paradox that was to the beauty of seeing God face to face, not dim, not convoluted, not confused, listen, not distorted. Some of you have grown a distorted view of God's character because of things that have happened in your life, and I want to guarantee you that there will be a day where all of that confusion will be completely gone. Where that person that tried to distort your view of God because of what they did to you, they will not stand or sit in any kind of victory. Or the folks that abused you, maligned you, the relationships that harmed you, and on and on, that tried, attempted to steal away who God was in your life, Listen, there will be a day where all of that, please hear this, will pass away and there will be one that will remain. The beauty of verse 12 is the beauty for us now that it ends with, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. In this day of face to face, God knowing us fully still loves us. And so verse 13, here we go. The famous verse so now, faith, hope, and love abide. They remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, super vulnerable. Uh, here's what I've realized. Is I have had no clue about this verse until about three days ago. When people have asked me before, Mark, why in 1 Corinthians 13 does it say that love is better than faith and hope or greater than? I've been like, uh, well, it's like, you know, because it's, it's like better, you know? I mean, I, I've had nothing. You know, I, I've, like, I've like tried to come up with some niceties, uh, some, some great ways to explain it. But literally, it was until three days ago where all of a sudden, God completely opened my mind and my heart to the beauty of this passage. Years and years and years of, of not knowing, because I'm looking at faith, and I'm like, faith is pretty key. Hope, pretty key. It's powerful. Why does love, straight out of the words of Paul, which are straight out of the inspiration of God, which is straight out of the truth, why does love sit at the greatest? Next slide. Why, out of these three powerful words, does love carry a deeper weight? Can we answer that together? Next slide. Look at this. Why is love greater? Number one, it's greater than faith because our faith, uh, next slide, our faith is sight. In other words, in the day where our faith is sight, we don't need faith anymore. Are we together? Like faith is now right in front of us. In that day, our faith is completely, completely right in front of us. All the songs we sang, all the prayers we prayed, all the word that we dug into, now all of a sudden we are in fellowship with. 
And you will, in those moments, not need faith to believe it. It will be completely in sight, completely in view. And oh my goodness, you will get the joy of worshiping that great, good God with no faith needed for an eternity. And that is a beautiful picture. So love is greater than faith for that reason. Well, how about hope? Next slide. It's greater than hope because our hope is fully realized. We, we hoped that we would get to be with the Lord. We hoped that all of a sudden all would be made right. Listen, we hoped that He would wipe away every tear from our eyes, right? We hoped that He would make all things new. We hoped all these things. We believed them, yes. But there will be a day where we will say, He wiped away every tear from our eyes. He did it. Our hope became reality. Our hope is fully realized. I'm not having to hope anymore. I'm in it. I'm experiencing it. I'm existing in it. Can you imagine that beauty and that power? So love is better than faith. So love is better than hope. Why? Next slide. Because love never ends. Now, I want to bring you into my heart here. I mean, guys, I've talked about God's love for a long, long, long time. I guess as you have as well. We sing about it a lot. Right? A lot of great songs, a lot of great passages. God's love, God's love. We struggle with it, yes. Do you wrestle with it sometimes? Yes. Do you doubt it sometimes? Yes, yes. Do I? Yes. But all of a sudden, I was like, hold on a second. I've spent so much time thinking about God's love as it pertains to me here and now, as it pertains to us here and now, I've sang about God's love mostly as it affects our existence here. But I have yet to feel the full weight of not just a God who is loving here and now, but a God who will be no less loving for an entire eternity. So to say that love is greater, it's because it never ends. Our faith will be sight, our hope will be realized, and we won't just be basking in His love here and now. We will spend an entire eternity loved by God. Worshippers of Him in, in spirit and in truth? Yes, in perfection. No tears coming down from our eyes. No pain anymore. And on and on. Oh, we'll be worshipers, my friends, but we'll be worshipers because we will be in the presence of a good, still loving God. And I have to be honest with you, as I have never, ever, ever considered that. And when I started considering that, that I'm not just bathing in His love here, but I would bathe in it for an eternity, then that had profound implications on now. And so I'm getting ready to ask you a question. I can't make the answers to this question stir anything. I don't want to make it stir anything. I want the Lord to move in your heart as I ask it. It's the question I've had to wrestle with when I fully believe that love never ends. Here's the question. Is the faith, the trust, of being eternally loved enough 
to provide a daily hope that guides every second of your life until He returns or calls you home. Every single one of us are looking for love. And yet all of a sudden the reality is when you found love in Christ, you haven't just found it for a while. You found the one thing that you were searching for that will now provide for you for all of time. And so I want to ask you the same thing I've been asking myself. Is that enough then to find myself saying, God, I just want to glorify you. If your love is that good, if your love is that eternal, if your love is that deep and rich, if your love far outweighs that relationship where I thought I experienced it for the first time, if that love is far deeper than if I trust that that's true, do you see that it drives everything? Why? Because we know one day, face to face, we will get to, yet again, live under the beauty of being bathed in the love of God forever. So, I want to take a moment and just say, for some of you right now, it is the full realization that your life is dominated by the temporal. It's dominated by the things that will pass away. It's what you're latched to. It's what's crippling you. And tonight, I want us to run to grace. Trust me, I've spent a lot of my life hooked on the temporal. Why? Because it provided something that it couldn't deliver. But I believed it. You've believed it. We don't have to believe it anymore. We can trust in something deeper. And so listen, tonight let's run to grace, huh? Let's run to the arms of Christ. Let's celebrate with this meal that represents, yes, have we lived in the temporal in this room? Yes. Have some of us struggled more than others? Probably so. But guess what? The broken body of Christ for all believers, says, you know what? Grace is ours. We know you're coming back. So help us trust it again. Help us receive it again. Help us believe in your love again. So believers, listen, come and take a piece of this bread. And dip it in this cup, which represents the broken body and blood of Christ. And in this meal tonight, believers, we say grace is so good. We're so in desperate need of it. But God, please... Please, God, make us worshipers. For me, I'm tired of submitting yet again to the temporal. And I'm longing that I wouldn't go on sinning so that grace may increase. I'm longing tonight that by seeing the end, by seeing the greater perspective, by knowing that so much will pass away, but that love never ends, I have to trust my example to the world that your embracing of hope now 
will give a great representation to the God that we serve, to all those who desperately are searching for love too. Love never, ever, ever ends. Let's celebrate this meal, my friends. See, here's what God has been doing since the garden. He's been saying, I will love you in a perfect, in a, in a way that you have never experienced before, in a sacrificial way. I will love you. Receive it. Receive my love. And you won't just receive it for a week or a month or a year You will have my love for an eternity. And so tonight, I fully recognize that some of you have uh, kept that love at arm's bay. You've been scared, fearful, not wanting to be burned because you've been burned in the past. Listen, what if tonight all of a sudden you believed for the very first time that God's love, in fact, didn't end? I'm going to be up here, some of our leaders, listen, we'd love to pray with you and for you. Maybe you're like, I don't even know where to start, but I I know I haven't been embracing the love that God has for me. Come and find us. We'd absolutely love to walk with you in that journey.